The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, and open them to the Epistle to the Colossians, chapter 1. And this is a scripture that should be familiar to you, those of you that have attended all of these sessions that we've had on the doctrine of the church, because this is a chapter that I used previously when I was talking about the ministry of the church. And I want to come back to it this evening uh, and speak on another important truth that we find here, which is the purity of the church. And I, I, I don't intend to be coy and try to deceive you with anything as if I'm going to preach something that you haven't heard because uh, I, I spent five sermons back in May and June dealing with this issue, and really it's about church discipline. And we talked about it for quite a while while we're in the book of Matthew in chapter 18. But we're going to look at the subject from a little different perspective this time around and to try to learn some other things that are very important to our understanding about how church discipline works. Now, I want you to notice what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, beginning verse number 21. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Now, in our study of church ministry, we learned that the number one ministry of the church is the exaltation of Christ. That everything that we do is for the purpose of glorifying God, uh, raising up the name of Christ. We preach truth in order to exalt Christ. And that definitely includes the purity of the body of the church as it reflects the righteous character of Christ. The proof of the saving power of Christ is the demonstration of the change that takes place in our lives as believers. And when Christ saves us, he doesn't leave us as we are, but we become a new creation in him. And so there's this change that takes place from our old way of life, and we begin to walk in the new life in Christ. And the holy character of a Christian needs to be maintained in order for our growth in grace and to show the world that just as Jesus changed us and made us something new, so he can make something new of those who are unbelievers at the present and learn to follow him as we have. Well, in every organization, there has to be a a method of smooth operation. Uh, There are certain laws that members of an organization obey, and they do that in order that they might work together. I mean, when there has to be a, a set of rules that everybody follows in order to carry out the reason for an organization's existence, and trying to operate without any kinds of procedures would only lead to chaos and confusion. And you know very well that when you became a, a, an employee of your employer, that they gave you certain things that you were supposed to do, certain uh, rules to follow, certain protocols. And if you're going to get paid on Friday, 
then you need to make sure that you've done everything that they said or you're going to be left out in the cold. So procedures have to be followed. And it's no different in the church. Uh, The laws that we follow are not man-made laws. These are divine laws that have been given to us by by God himself. And those laws are are given by the one who is the perfectly divine law giver. And so there's nothing that we do that God has given us to do that won't exalt him when we do it exactly like God tells us to do it. Uh, Christ knows how to accomplish his purposes, and his goal is to make you like him and help you to influence others through the preaching of the gospel and also through the lifestyle that you live of obedience to him. So when we're like him, uh, that will make us uh, a good testimony to the rest of the world, and that's the goal that we're trying to attain. And so for that reason, God has enacted a way that we can conform to his purpose, and his method is discipline. You have to be taught to obey him, and thereby you learn what's best for you and for your well-being and also for the welfare of others. But we all know that when we use the word discipline, it has a negative ring to it. As we learned in, in Matthew, people often think of discipline as punishment. But the word itself doesn't carry with it the meaning of punishment. That's not even part of it. The word comes from the Latin disco, and don't get, that, don't get your hopes up here because I'm not going where you think I might be going. Uh, Latin disco means to learn, and that's what a disciple is. He is a learner, and that's what discipline is all about. It's to train us to go in the way that God wants us to go. Now, in just a few minutes, we'll begin a, a discussion of different types of discipline, but before we do, we need to very clearly understand the methods or not, not the methods, I should say, but the attitude of discipline. How do, we go, how do we go about discipline? What is the attitude of it? Well, discipline is not to be overly harsh. It's not something that we do just to teach stubborn people to obey, but it's given for help, and it's given for understanding. It's done for the, for the good of the individual and also for the good of the entire church, the Lord's body. And it's done... Discipline is good for you, and it's good for me. It's done in order that we might experience the, the most abundant life that it's possible as individuals and also as a church body together. Now, to accentuate this particular part of discipline, I think the first thing that we need to look at is the laws to live by. There are certain laws for us to live by. There are laws that if they are faithfully obeyed, then they would clear out the need for this harsher type of discipline that people usually think about. And if we obey these laws, then the church will become a place where we can dwell together in peace and harmony. And if we obey these, the Berean Baptist Church will be a place of safety where the flock of Jesus Christ can come together and we can feast on the Word of God and we can do that in an attitude of joy. Now let me comment just a little bit further on on the church as a place of safety. One of the greatest things that there is about church is this is a place that we can come to escape the corruption of the world. Now, those of you that are out there in the workplace, you know that oftentimes you have to go through almost unbearable things being a Christian, just all different kinds of things that you have to live with. I mean, a few weeks ago, I was speaking to one of our members that was telling me about profanity in the workplace, 
And she told me about how she was just appalled by all of the garbage that she had to listen to. And so she told me that she just let her coworkers know that she was a Christian and she didn't like to hear all of that ugly conversation. And she said that when she took a stand uh, on her faith in this area, that her coworkers respected that. And they refrained from using bad language around her. And when they did, they would apologize for it. Now, can you imagine what her testimony would have been in this area if she had just joined in all of the talk that was going around the office and just became a part of that? Well, there wouldn't be any testimony at all. You couldn't really give people the gospel of Christ in an atmosphere like that. And it's for sure that what we don't want is that we don't want a church where the membership cannot interact with one another without hearing all of the things that goes on in the world. We don't want to hear all of the profanity and, and all of the things that people do with their language and their actions and in their daily habits. The church is not a place for those things. And so we want a church where we can come together and fellowship with one another and be with one another and escape all of that stuff and not have that kind of filth dragged into the place where we're trying to be wholly consecrated to the Lord. And when we have that, then we'll have the kind of fellowship that we need. And if we don't have it, those kinds of things will destroy the sweetness of our fellowship. Well, what laws can we obey that would help us to accomplish the, the goal that we have of good, decent fellowship and to avoid harsher forms of discipline? Well, let me give you three laws for Christians to live by that will help us in this area. The first one is the law of love. Now, the law of love is given to us in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And this is where Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now, Jesus called that a new commandment because it was a law that reached to a higher level than these people had ever lived in before. I mean, the commandment to love people was not a commandment that was new time-wise because you can go back into the Old Testament and you find it there. It's expressed in the command that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, if you remember... New Testament issues that Jesus had with Pharisees and with others that they disputed about this and, and they, they, they began to argue, well, if we're to love our neighbors as ourselves, then who, just who is our neighbor? And so neighbor came to mean anybody that's just like me. But when Jesus taught on this subject, he, he said, it's no special thing to love people that love you. And so he intensified the command by saying, here's what you need to do. You must also love your enemies. And that was new to their understanding. And that was uh, illustrated by Jesus in the parable of the Good Samaritan. He taught them to love their enemies. And then the commandment was also new because he said, I want you to love others as I have loved you. Now, that's far beyond natural love. In fact, that's a love that we could never attain to without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you think about that for a moment, we're told to love our enemies. There's no one in the church that is our enemy. No one in the church is your enemy. I mean, we are all born-again children of God. We all have God as our Father, 
We're, we're all the same in that way. We're not enemies. Now, it's true the people of God don't act the right way all of the time, and this is why we're talking about this subject tonight, but that doesn't mean that anybody in the church is our enemy. These, again, are people that are just like us, born of the Spirit of God. We have God as our Father. And if we loved people in the church in that way, that would take away a lot of the anger and the jealousy that exists between us. It would curb the bitterness that we so often feel about each other. And that is exactly what the Lord commands. In Ephesians 4.31, Paul said, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Peter said, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. So that's a law that we need to learn to live by, the law of love. Secondly, there's the law of confession. Uh, discipline wouldn't be as difficult as it is if at the moment that we realize that we've offended someone, that we'd go to that person immediately and we would be reconciled. Now, if you remember in our earlier study when we looked at this in Matthew 18, we concentrated mostly on the one who's been offended. And we said the one who's been offended should go to the erring brother and talk to him about it and then try to be reconciled to that person. Well, sometimes people don't know that they have offended. However, I, I suspect that most of the time we do know that we, when we've offended someone, but because of our pride or arrogance or self-will or whatever it is, we're just, we just won't be the first ones to go and do anything about it. But do you know that Jesus said that you can't come to him and you can't expect a blessing from him if you know that you have offended someone? Now, listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 5. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Now, this is the law of confession. And what it's telling us is that you don't come to church, and you don't come in here, and you act all pious and holy, and act like you're going to worship God when you know that you have a problem with someone in the church. When you know that you have offended someone, you can't come into the church and worship God because God will not accept that worship. The Bible teaches here that we're to confess the sin, we're to make that thing right with the other person, and if we had this spirit of confession all of the time in all of us, then we wouldn't need all this other discipline. All of that would be greatly reduced because we would be in a right relationship with each other. So that's another law we need to remember, the law of confession. The third law is the law of forgiveness. Now, we, we learned a, a good lesson about this in Matthew chapter 18. After all the procedures for discipline were given in verses 15 through 20, Jesus followed that up with a parable about forgiveness. Now, remember that Peter wanted to know, how many times do we have to forgive someone who has offended us? And that's when Jesus gave the parable that illustrated that forgiveness is to be unlimited. And he, he taught that God the Father has forgiven us of an infinite debt. 
God himself modeled forgiveness for us. And so we're to forgive as he forgave. And forgiveness ought to be quick and ready. We ought to be willing to do it. And we are to require repentance, but we're not to require penance. We're to forgive as God forgave and to forgive freely. Now, do you think that that would help us to get along in the church? Do you think that we would be comfortable worshiping together if we all knew that some offense that we have against our brother is not going to be constantly held over our head? I mean, that's what forgiveness is all about. Once, once we've repented of our sins, that repentance blots out the transgression, and that's never to be brought up again. And that's why keeping count of offenses like Peter wanted to do just won't work. Because if you keep counting them up, you're going to be forced to think about that offense all of the time. And the only way that you're able to forgive multiple offenses is that you don't hold on to any of them. You don't count them any longer. All the previous ones are gone. And that's what God expects from us. But I want to caution you about it, though, that the law of forgiveness does not mean that sin is not to be confronted. We most definitely are to confront sin. What Christ never did was never, he never forgave the unrepentant. There's nobody that's going to go to heaven without repentance. And so in the Lord's church, we have to practice the same thing, that people must be held accountable and their repentance must be obtained. Now, you see what God does, he doesn't forgive anyone arbitrarily. It's not just something that he just pulls out of the air and says that you're forgiven. No, God forgives because he provided a method by which forgiveness could be obtained, and that's through the sacrifice of Christ. So he teaches that we are to be uh, to quickly to forgive and to do it when repentance is offered. Reconciliation is made through repentance. Just blind forgiveness doesn't do anybody any good. It doesn't do the offended any good, and it doesn't do the one who is the offender. So those are three laws that we need to remember to live by and to practice, the law of love and the law of confession and the law of forgiveness. Now, let's move on then to the second area of discussion. Uh, Number two is the departments of discipline. Now, we tend to think that there's only one department of discipline, and that's the department of punishment. It's the department of the agonizing method of fixing things. But discipline actually has three different areas. Uh, Sometimes the third area is comprehended in the second, but there are three different areas of discipline. And the first one is the one that really doesn't get very much attention. And, And this is the one that's often relegated to other parts of church ministry, but it's actually a part of discipline itself. Now, what we need to remember is that discipline is about learning. It's learning to be a disciple. And so the first type of discipline is what we call formative discipline. This is where you're taught how to behave. This is where you're taught how to live, things that you are to do and things that you are not to do. It's the molding. It's the the setting of a pattern for your life. This is the place where we put believers on solid ground and help them to build strength and character in their Christian lives. Now, if I were to give you one verse that sums up this kind of discipline, I think 2 Peter 3.18 would be a good one, where Peter said, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. 
Now, what happens when you have a whole body of believers that grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ? Well, one thing that happens uh, is answered in this verse. It says here that we, we glorify God. We accomplish the chief end of man, which is the highest order of ministry that we have in the church that we've talked about, which is glorifying God and exalting the name of Christ. But then there's something else that happens, and it's a spiritual byproduct of this growth in grace, and that is that we're unified. We become a body in unity. And when we're a body in unity, we begin to remove other types of discipline. And we're unified as we become more like Christ. That's what growth in grace is all about. Now, when you have the character of Christ, do you think that you would have bitterness and malice and backbiting and strife that's a part of your character, which is so often what we find in churches? Well, no, you wouldn't have that. Growth in grace causes unity. Now, I want to show you this evening some verses that teach formative discipline. In fact, uh, there is so much of this in the Bible. A, a huge part of the New Testament, especially epistles, are consumed with this part of discipline, formative discipline. Now, what I've done is to gather a few examples for you from Scripture. So I want you to take your Bible, if you would, and we're going to turn to these rather quickly. Uh, try to keep up with me, if you would. All of these are taken from Paul's epistles, and I've kind of grouped them together so they follow one right after the other. So we go to Ephesians, then we'll go to Philippians, and then to Colossians. So if you look in Ephesians chapter 4, we'll read a few verses here that talk about formative discipline. Ephesians 4, verse number 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Going down to the 11th verse, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and under the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now then, if you'll turn over a few pages to the book of Philippians and look at chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 9. Philippians 1 verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. Verse number 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, 
striving together for the faith of the gospel. Then on to the second chapter in verse number 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Now if you'll go to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. And verses 6 and 7. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And then we go to Colossians chapter 3. And here we could read the whole chapter because almost all of it's dedicated to formative discipline. And It's hard to pick out uh, just a verse or two. But if you look at verse number 1, Colossians 3, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Verse number 5, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse number 8, But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Verse number 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him." Now, those are all just really great scriptures, and all of them are about formative discipline. These are verses that teach you what to do and what not to do. This is all about growing in the grace of the Lord. And what you find here are one of two ways. It's either a way that you are not to go or a way that you are to go. And if you find yourself in the middle of one of these lists that Paul has given where you're doing things that you ought not to do, then that's when you're on the wrong path, and that's when a Christian becomes a burden to the church. And now we've moved into one of the other categories of discipline. And so it's best for us to stay right here, patterning patterning our lives appropriately, 
and feasting on the Word of God and being built up and established in the faith, grounded and settled, like it says in our text verse of Colossians 1.23. Now, do you know what happens or what else happens with formative discipline? Here we see that we come to unity in the faith, and that means that we won't be tossed around by... Uh, like a rudderless ship by all the different winds of doctrine that come along and would try to destroy our faith. Now, that's what we read in Ephesians 4, verse 14. And so formative discipline is also for the purpose of making us strong so that the devil cannot destroy our faith with false doctrine. I mean, have you thought about why you go to church? No, it's good to come here for the fellowship. It's good to come here for the activities that we have. But the real purpose of our coming to church and organizing into a church is so that we can be conformed to Christ and to be shaped into his image. This is the purpose of what we do here. But there are so many people that care just little to nothing about the doctrine of the church. And so they have actually forsaken the teaching of these very things that we've just read that will form us into that image of Christ. So we really don't find in most churches that there is a lot of this teaching of formative discipline. And that's why you find sin in the church. It's why sin keeps perpetuating itself because people need formative discipline and they don't get it. And then, because they don't get the formative discipline, they need corrective discipline, but they don't get the corrective discipline because that's taught by the formative discipline. And so you just have this round robin, you're going in circles all the time, chasing your tail, because churches don't teach the truth of the Word of God. They don't keep people grounded in this. So you can really get messed up if at the very beginning you don't get the right kind of discipline. And that's this formative discipline that's taught so much in the Word of God. Then another thing that you get from formative discipline is that you learn to think right. Now, here's what Paul says in Philippians 4. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Formative discipline gets you thinking on right things. And when you think rightly, you do rightly. So what the Word of God says, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. And right there, folks, is where we find the downfall of many Christians. What they're thinking about all of the time is not the things of heaven, not the things of God, not what we find here in these epistles of Paul and other places, but they're thinking on all the things that the world has to offer. And you know as well as I know that when you think on those other things that your actions begin to follow the path of what you're thinking about. And that's the downfall. You know why Jesus said that when a man looks on a woman to lust after that he's already committed adultery in his heart? It's because he knows that the heart is what rules us. The heart dictates what kind of people that we are. In Matthew 12:35, Jesus said, A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. So you don't have to physically commit the act of adultery to be guilty of it. The heart dictates 
what you are. Proverbs says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And there's the reason that we need to think right. We need to put into our heart, and there, of course, the Bible's talking about the mind. We need to keep putting into our minds the word of God because that's the thing that keeps the heart pure. And a pure heart keeps us out of the other forms of discipline. Well, we all know that we don't have a church that always does this. And someone said, and you're well familiar with the, with the phrase, that if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. When you get saved, th- this is all of our problem, but we don't get rid of the old nature that we have. We still, we still have the old nature. We, we have the spiritual man that's fighting against the, the old man. And so we have to keep fighting that battle every day. We're, we have to keep fighting off the desires of the flesh that we feel all of the time. But because we have the sinful nature doesn't mean that we have an excuse to sin because God has given us the power to overcome that sin because we have the Holy Spirit in us who supplies that power through the new nature that we have. But we all know this is the universal experience. We all continue to sin. I mean, the godliest person that you know, the most respected preacher that you know, struggles with this all the time. We all battle with sin and with purity. The Apostle Paul said that he did. Romans chapter 7, the, the, the first part of that chapter is dedicated to this very problem. Paul says, I, I just don't do the things that I know I need to do and the things that, that, I, <clears throat> that I want to do, I don't do. Things I don't want to do, I do do. Well, that doesn't mean we have an excuse to sin. As I said, we still have the Holy Spirit in us, but we shouldn't be shocked when we find sin in the church. We take a look at all these scriptures that I've just read to you and We find the list of sins that are here. Why did Paul mention all of this? I mean, these are people in churches that he had organized. So why is he mentioning this? Because there are people that still sin. Because there are church members that didn't live like they were supposed to live. The problems were always there. And as long as the problem is there, we have to keep preaching about it. So people do these things. And so we preach about it. And so when someone comes up to me and says... You know, I've had this happen to me before. I preach about a sin that happens in the church, and someone comes up to me with wide eyes, and they say, do we really have people in the church that do those things? And I say, yes, we do. And by the grace of God, there go you, and there go I. We have to remember that. Now, I know this, that we can teach people to get out of sin. We keep preaching about it. We don't tolerate sin, but I know as long as I'm, uh, I'm alive that when I've solved one problem, there's another one that will rear its ugly head and I'll find myself preaching against sin again. And I'm going to be doing that until Christ comes or I die. So though we do have a good church that teaches formative discipline, we also know that all of us are in different stages of this growth process. I mean, even those people that have grown a lot still have to be pruned every now and then, don't you? I mean, this is true for every single one of us. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how strong that you think you are. All of us have to be pruned now and then because of our sin. And so because of that, there's another type of discipline that follows. 
Now, it'd be great if we would all obey the laws of life, that we would strictly adhere to these all of the time. But just like Paul encountered in these churches, he gave them the formative discipline that they needed. But they didn't always go by the formative discipline. And so there's another discipline that has to take place. And I don't have time to talk about that tonight. And so we're going to come back next week and we're going to look at the second type of discipline that's taught in Scripture. Now, when we study discipline in Matthew 18, I told you then that this is a very important topic. I mean, this is one of the most important things that we talk about in the church. This is a huge piece of church doctrine. And the real thing about it is, is this issue. What good is a church that does not reflect the holiness of Christ? What good is that kind of church? Well, it's no good because Christ won't use it. Christ won't use dirty vessels. And so he expects the life to be cleaned. He expects us to be, to be living according to this discipline that he's given us. And we're to be right in our doctrine, unified in our doctrine. We are to be in the process of this sanctifying by the Holy Spirit. Because if we're not, then we will not be used to do the work of Christ. So what we do is we guard the church with formative discipline. And so whenever you hear me get up here and I tell you about what not to do and what you ought to do, that's the first major part of discipline that we find in the Word of God for His people, formative discipline that teaches us to be like Christ. And so if we're like that, if we we follow that, then God will bless this church and God will use it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you this evening and... We confess our sins, or we know that we don't live like we should. We're not always consistent. Uh, Even the very best among us that tries the hardest, we know that we're faced with all of these uh, temptations that come upon us daily, and just too often we give in to them. Lord, I pray that you would help every one of us to do exactly what Paul told us to do in, in Philippians 4, and that is to think on things that are just and think on things that are right. I pray, Lord, that we would fill our, our, our hearts with your word, read your word. We know that we're not going to become like we should be unless we have, we're firmly rooted and grounded in the scriptures. Help us to be that, Lord, and bless our church as we strive together to work for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.